Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Travis Tyson, Director of Planning at Cleveland Clinic, an academic nonprofit medical center consistently ranked as one of the best hospitals in the world. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insight to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Travis, thank you so much for joining me today. And let's talk limbic sparks. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you are here. And how's it going today? Uh, not too bad. Starting off on a good day on a Friday. So I had a good week and uh, looking forward to the weekend. I love that. Me as well. I'm curious. I'm going to start here. When it comes to the close relationships that you have with people, what values do you seek out in those who you stay close with? Uh, that's a good question. So I think, um, you know, some of the things that first come to mind is is trust uh, trust with those relationships, honesty, integrity. Uh, some of those uh, are the values that come to mind. Um, I also think caring and respect for others is a is very important. Um, I would like, you know, as the saying goes, treat others as you would like to be treated. So those are some of the key values that I would uh, look for in a relationship. Yep. I've always felt those qualities in you in our conversations. And when we met several years ago, I was really struck by the conversations that we had. I'm curious, what inspires and fuels your energy? Well, nowadays it's uh, it's kids probably. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that's uh, different from yeah. when we met. But yeah. yes, yeah, uh, uh, it's you know, family keeps me going. Um, you know, life is short. I always say life is short, so you know, try to keep energy and to make the most out of uh, every day as you wake up and you know, just kind of keep motivated and keep moving on things because um, you never know what's going to happen or what's going to be around the corner. But, you know, right right now, I, it, it's kind of funny. I kind of joke, but really family and, and kids really keep me motivated nowadays and in the next generation and seeing them grow and seeing how you can impact their lives and, um, you know, have a part of that, you know, and, and they're our future, right? And so yeah. participate in stuff like that. Yeah. You know, a whole pandemic happened since we met and a lot of people in that time have reprioritized their time. You know, people were working from home. People got a feeling for what it was like to prioritize family. And um, a lot of people out there have, have done what you've done, which is amazing. You know, I'm into brands and, um, <laughs> and, and brands have meanings and associations that people can, um, can, can relate to. So I'd love to get to know more about you but can you describe yourself naming a few brands that paint a picture of what you're all about? A few brands. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I would say kind of brands or maybe images and stuff that, that I, that maybe come to mind first. Um, one, one might not be a brand per se, but it's a, it's a image and it's a representation, which is a cross, which is representation of God and in, in a faith of my, of what I believe in from a Christian and in my family. Number one, um, I'm a, I'm a big DIYer. So, you know, who doesn't know about Home Depot and, and kind of their brand and their, their logos and, and 
you know, I'm not promoting any of these, you know, necessarily, but, uh, you know, we love to do projects and do our do projects ourselves. So, you know, Home Depot is a, a good brand. Um, I would say uh, Starbucks uh, is another brand that everybody knows about Starbucks. Um, I may not be a big Starbucks coffee drinker, but I'm a big coffee drinker of whatever it is. So um, I, people probably relate to me that way. Um, I would also say, you know, probably, uh, you know, Amazon's a big one. Who doesn't know Amazon? Who doesn't love the luxury of kind of making life simpler? Um, right now, it's just kind of like, how can you uh, work smarter, not harder? And so, you know, um, we love to go on and, and kind of use the ease and access of Amazon of being able to just kind of quickly look at things and have things delivered to your doorstep. Uh, every, life is so busy. You know, and so it's really great to be able to have that um, ease of access to obviously almost anything, you know, on Amazon nowadays. But um, with with our busy lives and everything, it's it's that's another one that um, try to make the most out of all your time that you have. And so that's another one that I would say um, might describe me, you know, as, as far as what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Such a wonderful set of brands. And it definitely it definitely paints a clear picture. And thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I, I know that uh, Cleveland Clinic is much more than one hospital. Can you give a sense of its scale? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're international. Um, we are a, a pretty big organization. As you kind of mentioned, we're, um, you know, one of the largest healthcare institutions um, in, in, well, in Northeast Ohio alone, we're the largest employer. Uh, we just came out with, um, you know, we're now up to, I think, 81,000 employees. We're the largest employer in Ohio. Um, we have uh, several locations across the United States. Um, and internationally, we have uh, locations as well. Um, we have um, nine hospitals in Ohio. And we have a series of five hospitals down in Florida. Uh, we have a total of about 39 million square feet of space that 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 we have in our um, inventory, our real estate inventory that we kind of take care of and manage. And so that's kind of hard to comprehend. You know, uh, where I work on, on main campus, we have a couple large buildings, a million square feet here, a million square feet there. And just to think of the multiple the multiplier of that across um, all of our sites is is pretty large. And then we have a lot of different service, about every service line, obviously, um, that you can think of to take care of patients. So it's, it's wow. a big organization. It's a big organization. That is a scale beyond what I even knew about. And you are director of planning and you are an architect. So you mentioned big numbers of square feet. And I, I know that you have some impact on how those square feet are used and how they are designed. Um, what does your role entail across across the um, the Cleveland Clinic properties? Yeah, so our our my role in our department specifically is is all about kind of the built environment um, and the spaces that we all you know inhabit and, and uh, experience every day, right? Whether it's our caregivers, our patients, our family, visitors, etc. Um, every project that the clinic undertakes, whether it's a from programming, planning, design construction, et cetera, uh, comes through our, comes through our office. So we, we manage all those projects, uh, my team and myself specifically, we do all the programming, planning, design for all these projects, whether it's a renovation or a new build. So you can imagine, um, you know, at any point in time, we could have 1200 to 1800 projects active 
again, our system that we're kind of managing and overseeing from various sizes and scales. But um, the good part of what we do, I think some of the most satisfying things is that every project we do impacts someone or something. And it's it's kind of good to know that you're doing good and you had a part of something that's impacting, especially when it kind of, it kind of comes down to patient care, which is obviously what we're focused on. You and I met when I was uh, involved with the Center for Health Design, which is a wonderful nonprofit that focuses on the intersection of design and healthcare environments. Can you, I know you're still involved with them. Can you share a bit about their mission and how it relates to your work? Yeah, so um, kind of my my involvement with the Center for Health Designs really kind of been through uh, uh, Emerald, which is being on the Healthcare Design Advisory Board. Um, you know, it's a group that comes together, uh, professionals across the U.S. kind of coming together and really exploring um, best practices, exploring future ideas and brands, and figuring out the best way for patients to heal. So. What we do with the groups that we've mentioned is, you know, we really kind of come together and kind of really have deep discussions of, you know, how can we make those environments and, and address those individual things, whether it's sound, whether it's color, whatever it may be, and um, kind of put things out there for the greater good um, for other institutions, hospitals, architects, designers, whoever. Um, so it's been it's been great um, to, to hear all the different topics. Yeah, I remember I remember there were um, representatives from different hospital networks as well as manufacturers of of um, of of things that go in hospitals and, um, and and other people all coming together and and really envisioning like how could these spaces be better for the people who are in them, whether they're patients or providers. And I'm curious, as you you know, you've been part of this for a while. What are what are some of the big trends or changes you've seen over the years, um, or the discussions that are being had had now that weren't had earlier about architecture and design in healthcare spaces? Yeah, uh, I would say, um, well, COVID changed a lot as far as the way we look at things. I would say, you know, pre-COVID versus post-COVID. Um, we're really looking at um, uh, the way healthcare is going. We're looking at more of a higher acuity patient level now. Um, so the things that we take into consideration, we got to kind of consider, you know, the acuity of our patients. We have some of the highest uh, acute acuity patients um, in the world come to our facilities with the services that we do. Um, with that being said, um, we really have to take into consideration kind of the trends of you know, there's always the noise issue. You're in a hospital; it's always busy, and there's always things going on. There's always alarms. Um, we we're we're seeing more trends with, um, you know, how does artwork, how does well feel like, you know, design and kind of bringing in nature when we can into spaces uh, impact the healing environment and the the healing of patients. So we are trending. We just at the Cleveland Clinic, we're trending more towards trying to bring in kind of more nature, whether it's even views to nature or bringing in some sort of like plant life in our main lobbies and stuff to, to give people opportunities to kind of explore and experience those things. Um, I would also say that, you know, uh, technology is a big trend right now that we're, that we're all kind of dealing with, uh, trying to take into consideration how does AI and technology kind of impact the design, impact the, the care of our patients, impacts the caregiver. How do, how do you address things? Um, you know, we don't want, 
We don't want things to be so impersonal where it's like, oh, talk to the computer, talk whatever, um, because there's always that human touch that also impacts, you know, the the healing of patients that we were trying to balance all these things, um, not knowing where things, technology is going and where that's going to land. But there's a big balance on things um, in that regard that we have to figure out, too, in our designs. It's changing. It's ever changing right now um, because it's advancing so fast. It's it's pretty crazy. Do you see the shift? Um, I'm listening to what you're saying and, and also from our past conversations. Do you see the shift having um, some sort of an anchor in, in, in emotional appeal of spaces and environments? Is that really like, is it moving from functional to emotional or am I, am I not hearing that right? Um, a little bit of both, I guess. It, that's the, that's the hard balance between the functional and the emotional based on kind of what's evolving. I think, um, there's, there's always an emotional thing. So, um, you know, a couple of things that we've, we've done kind of on the emotional side of things, if you will, is, uh, we, we've created um, some spaces for our caregivers to go and um, kind of get away uh, throughout the day for, for um, if they're dealing with a tough situation on the floor, which I'm not a clinical person, just, just to be clear, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, um, uh, but I, I interact and we see what these individuals do on a daily basis. And, and it's, it's a very, very tough job and they're dealing with very, very sick patients. And sometimes those patients it's not the best outcome. And sometimes they have to give that news to patients or whatever. And it's very emotional and I think stressful for those individuals. And so we're seeing an increase and in, in we're creating more spaces, what we call lavender lounges is what we call them for our caregivers to go and really, really kind of decompress a little bit when they go through those tough situations, because everybody's human, right? And it's a takes a big toll on, on our staff. And so we're seeing a trend. Um, and I would say that that's kind of a, it's a functional space and it's an emotional space where there's a little bit of a combination. So we're creating spaces like those for our caregivers specifically um, in, in all of our new buildings. And we're actually going back and retrofitting rooms and stuff like that for these individuals to go um, if they need to. And I, I know um, that you have a group within the organization that keeps track of um things like the Office of Caregiver Experience, I think you were describing it as. What what kind of insights do you learn from that group? Like how do they gather information from caregivers on, on the experience so you have insights to improve it? Yeah, so um, we have a, we're very fortunate, we're very fortunate to kind of have a lot of different resources and departments at the clinic. Um, one is the Office of Caregiver Experience. We also have a patient experience um, office, which deals with patients and and such. But um, our Office of Caregiver Experience, they work closely with all the different departments across uh, the Cleveland Clinic and the, the, the directors and the leads and managers. And, and they get feedback through their various surveys or walking the floors. Um, we're very inclusive. So um, there's a lot of opportunities internally for people to provide feedback on on issues or concerns. And then um, they gather that information. They work closely with departments like ourselves to kind of come up with plans or designs for spaces. We work closely with other departments of, um, you know, depending on what needs to be in those spaces. For example, uh, we have a whole media department. We have an art program. We have IT, obviously. Um, so we all come together as a group then to say, okay, what's what do we need to do, right? What's, what are we trying to achieve? And then, you know, what's, what, what's the steps that we need to take to make this work? 
like for instance, you mentioned the lavender lounges. What um, help me understand how you come to an idea like that? What kind of insights led to the the um, decision to create and and test and invest in those spaces? Yeah, we work closely with uh, our nursing department on that. Um, as you can imagine, it's and it's mostly um, physicians. I think use it. Uh, but no, mo no, it's mostly nursing. So we work closely with our nursing department um, to develop kind of what the need is. So they do a lot of research as well um, on their end on, on different things that people are doing. So um, with their research, our research and our investigating of, you know, what's a what's a good calming environment? What are some, you know, different scenarios that people deal with on the floors that, you know, what are some solutions to those scenarios to allow people to decompress? What do they need? You know, is it is a different type of seating for them to kind of be able to sit and relax? Is it um, a color, which if you haven't guessed, it's a lavender color, which is a soothing color, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's different colors. There's, <laughs> excuse me, um, scents, you know, is there, I don't know, some sort of scents or music? We look at all that type of thing and figure out what is it that we can provide into that room. And it may not be something that's like on all the time. For example, uh, like a light music. People could maybe go in and, and kind of for 15, 20 minutes, put on some music that, that they enjoy that kind of allows them to kind of settle down, get get reset to go back out on the floor. And so yeah. um, there's multiple things that we look at. And do you roll that out um, all at once or do you do like beta tests and and capture results and then fine tune and, and, and roll it out further? Yeah, so it just depends on what it is. Um, for these, we, we actually did some tests. Um, and just to, to see how successful they were. Um, I, I don't know if we really got like data documents with all these graphs and charts, but <laughs> it's the feed, it's the verbal feedback and such. And then just the way people um, uh, felt, I think after coming out of those rooms and, and going back to the patient floor, that's that, that was the true data of, of um, that we took, but we started with a few um, and then we kind of tweaked it over time and we've kind of created a standard, if you will, now. So now we have, we've done enough to where we have a standard where mm -hmm. if the request comes in to put one somewhere, we're like, all right, here's our base point. This is where we start. And we kind of go from there and kind of see um, what we can put into a different location, depending on where it is. Yeah. So it's about the, so you've gotten feedback on the feelings that people, that caregivers have coming out of those spaces. And I'm assuming that was, um, you know, helping, helping them reset a little bit and, and be ready for whatever's coming next in their, in yes. their day. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's been, wow. knock on wood, it's been positive. It's been, it's been a great experience. And uh, I don't, I don't think we've had any negative comments coming out of it, um, which yeah. is good. I think they really appreciate it and it really helps them get through their day. We're at 12 hour shifts and, what they deal with is tough. Yeah, it was they. It, you just said it. What they deal with is tough. So it's amazing that they have uh, something like that to to help them manage what what a lot of people who aren't them would have trouble handling in a given day or yeah. or career. You mentioned also that there's an office of patient experience, and I'm kind of curious what you learn from them and what types of uh, projects that that inspires for the patient experience. Yeah, our, our Office of Patient Experience has been around for quite some time now. Um, I, I, I'm not sure when we've kind of developed it. It's been a while, but um, they they really help a lot with HCAP scores. Um, so we're all kind of, you know, graded and based on HCAP scores uh, for various things. 
but we work closely with them uh, when when comments and stuff come in on those surveys. Um, we have the ability to work with our Office of Patient Experience and look at some of those comments and feedback. And obviously, cleanliness is one of them. Um, noise is another. How can we kind of, you know, reduce noise, mostly at night? Obviously, it's, you know, everybody's trying to sleep, but there's a, it's a working hospital and there's different noises going on during the night, but um, there's ways to reduce those noises. Um, but but we work with them closely on those. We work with them. Um, our Office of Patient Experience also helps manage what we call like, like patient panels. So we have a whole kind of like um, uh, list of page, past patients and, and current patients that are coming back for treatment that are have volunteered or are willing to provide feedback to us on our designs and our facilities and our built environment to um, better them based on their experience and, and what they would like to to see happen in our in our facilities. So our Office of Patient Experience helps manage those and they actually help set up, um, we have meetings with these patients depending on, you know, each service line's got like their own kind of patient panel, if you will, because everybody goes through different experiences. Um, I think the the best part about the interaction with those groups is um, it's an ongoing conversation, but it's also depending on the projects that come up, we will bring those uh, specific patients in to help develop our, our projects. We, oh, okay. we do renovations, but we also do a lot of big projects. We have a big uh, neurological Institute project going on right now. It's one of the biggest projects we've, we've ever done. And there's been several, uh, patient panel groups where we sit and it's just, it's like NI patients who across the board who have uh, experienced different um, locations on our main campus or have different medical experiences. So we bring them in and we listen to them and it, it could be as simple as for a neurological patient of just access, right? Like, you know what, we can't, we know we can't have steps in certain areas because of ADA and all that, but um, just the materials that we use you know, there are some other things that I know you've introduced that I'd love to hear more about, like like daylighting and 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 you mentioned artwork and you talked about noise noise reduction and patient rooms. I'm I'm kind of curious about um, you know how how those things have um, affected you know the HCAP scores overall and 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 even the Cleveland Clinic you know brand as a, as a place that patients would want to go to um, if they need to be somewhere. Yeah, uh, so our art we have a huge art program. Um, we have a we have a whole art department that actually um, every project we do, they're they're engaged in all of our different spaces, even like our back of house spaces and our patient spaces, because our caregivers enjoy looking at art just as well as our patients and families and visitors. But um, it's very deliberate with our art program. Um, they actually take take all of our spaces as projects and identify key locations of where art might be. Actually, um, it could be fine art and we commission fine art and we have like poster art that we put up um, depending on kind of where it is. It kind of meets the service line. Obviously, PEDS is, is very unique. So they they pick artwork that relates to PEDS and relates to the patient population that's within those spaces. Um, and I think that gives them, it gives patients um the ability to to look at something and kind of relate to different things. Um, so mm -hmm. the artwork has been known to kind of help get people through their visit, through their stay. Um, daylighting, daylighting, daylighting is a good one. Daylighting is it's a it's a tough one too sometimes in our facilities because 
we have facilities that, you know, as you grow, we're, 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 we just celebrated our hundred year anniversary in, in 2021. So uh, we have our original 1921 building. And as you can imagine, like a lot of older institutions have grown and just kind of built upon itself. So yeah. there are areas that it's very hard to get daylighting into. Exactly. And so, um, but daylighting, you know, I think there, there's, there's even studies of like natural light and daylighting helps the patient heal faster um, versus, you know, places that don't have daylighting. Of course, now you can't, you can't really build any patient rooms without daylighting. It's pretty much a requirement. Um, but beyond the patient room and the patient experience, we also try to get daylighting into our, the cores of our hospitals and the core of where our caregivers work because our caregivers enjoy daylighting just as much as our patients do. But um, it, it does play a big impact. And if we can't you know, if it's not direct lights, we try to have views down corridors uh, that open up to lights or open up to windows that you can see out. Um, we try to, in some locations, try to create parks or green spaces outside our facilities so that, um, you know, if it's a patient looking out or a caregiver working, they can at least kind of look out and see, you know, the environment and kind of see what's going on outside. And I think that's uh, another important part about the healing environment and the, the locations, the spaces that we have. So it sounds like there's a lot of attention to the sensory impact of spaces for both patients and caregivers. Is is that is there um, a way that you're learning about you know uh, sensory sensory impact of environments and and in using those insights in your architectural plans and design plans? Yeah, I think we're learning more over time, right? And we're, we're learning more of how those things impact um, kind of what we do, um, uh, especially with our new Neurological Institute. You know, um, you, you know, the whole uh, title of the podcast, you know, and the brain and how it affects things. And, and these, these neurological positions that we're working with for the new Neurological Institute is very, very interesting. And it's things that you, you I myself haven't really thought out on a day-to-day -day basis, but they kind of talk about all these different, every experience coming in from the front door, or even getting to the front door through a building of how different patients and different people think differently and, and how different things kind of can tr trigger those sensor sensories. Um, I think, you know, it, it could go down to sounds, it could go down to colors, it could go down to, you know, uh, the amount of people around you, um, clear paths. Um, there's a lot of things that would impact that, that we're that we're learning. So I'm really excited kind of for the new neurological Institute building when that opens up in a couple of years to kind of see how that works. Cause we're bringing all that together because of the type of patients, um, that that building will have. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff going into that. As you think about the design work that you're doing, do you see environmental design in healthcare as a differentiator and benefit for Cleveland clinic? I, I would like to think so, but um, I would also like to think that um, other organizations are doing the same thing, right? It's the right, it's it's kind of the right thing to do um, with, without the competitive environment, but it's the right thing to do for people working in those environments and for patients that are in there and healing. Um, I think I would like to think that, you know, we're a leader in some of these things, um, kind of with the resources and being the Cleveland Clinic and, and all the, we have very, very intelligent clinicians and researchers that work for us that provide information. We're very, very 
blessed and fortunate that way. But I'd also like to think that there are other organizations that are kind of maybe learning from us and doing the same thing um, just because, you know, it really is the right thing to do. When you think about uh, healthcare organizations out there that may not be going down this path that maybe are neglecting the power of emotion, the way they think about their environments. Why do you think that they're, they're not going down this path? Maybe two things I, that I think maybe come to mind. One, one is maybe they're just not fully aware of it, right? Maybe they don't have the resources or um, they just don't have the, um, you know, capability to, to maybe reach out and do the things that we are able to do. Um, from that resource, lack of resource, maybe. Um, I know there's a lot of smaller organizations and healthcare institutions that are out there um, that that might not be able to implement some of the things that we can. Um, you know, then it kind of comes down to, you know, is, is there a cost impact to implementing some of these things? And there probably is. I, I couldn't tell you, you know, is it a $1 sign or is it $5 signs? But um, there's a cost to implementing some things. But Overall, in the long term, it's more beneficial. We see that it's more beneficial because on the back end, yeah, there might be a, a higher upfront cost to implement some key things to address these. But on the long run, patients are healing faster. They're getting out of the hospital. Caregivers are happier. Um, and it just makes everything better. Um, but there, there's a balance there, I understand. So it's, it's yeah. I, I, those are the two things I think maybe kind of come to mind of maybe why other places may not have the opportunity to do what we're doing. And if you had to help, um, you know, other organizations that have maybe less resource uh, prioritize, what do you think are the best ways to create those limbic sparks, those, those emotional motivations that meet brand desire and, and, and make, make an environment better for the patients that it's serving? What would you prioritize for them? Quick wins. I would say quick wins is, you know, look at your, look at the color, um, you know, look at artwork things like that, that are fairly easy to take care of. Right. Um, we always say paint is paint is paint, right? Whether the colors, red, blue, yellow, white paint for the most part, if you're painting your wall or you're painting something, it costs the same for the most part. Right. So that's a quick win. Artwork does wonders of just making a, a space pop and giving you different feelings within, you know, your space. Um, I, I, you know, I, we walk in different spaces and you see blank walls, but you add a piece of art to it. It just makes a space pop. It makes you think, it makes your emotions kind of, kind of recharge and spark as you say, um, which is good. Um, and then there's obviously other ones that, that are more invasive, I think, to facilities that, that could be done and looked at, you know, as far as noise and such. But I think those two things and declutter things, I think um, we're really big on kind of very simple um simple lines, simple looks, you know, not a lot of stuff hanging on the walls, focusing on key things that are on the walls and just kind of clean up the environment a little bit. There's a lot more clutter than people probably think when you walk through spaces, but they're just so used to being in a room or in a space and all this stuff's around them. But when you really walk, other people walk through and realize, well, what meaning does this have? Make sure everything has a meaning within your space. I think that goes a long way to balancing your emotions, um, you know, as you walk through or, or patients in those spaces. What is it you know now that you wish you knew years ago, maybe something that others can learn from? I, I would have to say kind of every day I'm learning something different about people, right? So every day is a learning environment. Um, and, you know, 
I would hear about different circumstances that people are going through, but not necessarily kind of put it in perspective of what we do on a daily basis. Um, but over time, you know, you, you grow and you kind of learn, yeah, you know what, um, that does those, those people do come through our spaces at some point in time and it does impact what we do and, or what we do impacts kind of how they experience it. But, um, I think what I've really learned just in my, been with the clinic over 17 years, if there are so many different types of people going through so many different types of things that, that it's pretty amazing that, and they're all specific to those individuals. And, um, you have to kind of take the collective and figure out how to design it into your spaces and how does those designs impact kind of everybody? Cause one thing that might be good for you may not be good for me, depending on what we're going through. And so, um, it's really kind of challenge. The challenge is to kind of balance those things and find that right balance of what's the right thing to do for everybody, which is, it's very hard to do, but I think over time we've learned that, but it's like upfront thinking about those, those different scenarios um, and not just go with one. Cause you know, my, me, myself, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's, this is the solution. But you know, you find out a couple years down the road, it's not the solution for everybody, but it's really kind of taking the collective whole into consideration. Travis, thank you so much for joining me today. I've had such a great conversation with you and thank you for joining me today on let's talk limbic sparks. Thank you, Kevin. For more, go to limbicsparks.com. <laughs>